Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and answer your question, should I watch this? I'm your host, BJ, with my co-host, Me Too, and a special guest, Marden, here to review the Netflix show, Bloodline. So stay tuned to the end to find out about the Chip and Joanna Gates of the Florida Keys. So let's jump right in. Marden, our special guest, how about you introduce the show to everyone? Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me on the show. So Bloodline uh, is set in parts of the Florida Keys that you may not be used to seeing on TV. And the pilot begins with a bit of an ominous narration. And it's delivered by one of the four siblings of this family we're going to meet. His name is John. And the narration essentially goes, something bad is definitely going to happen. Then the episode just plunges into this very fast-paced, kind of intentional character development sequence Mm -hmm. as it cycles through the family members who, who are clearly engaged in preparations for some sort of celebration or big party uh, as the town's peer is being named after the family patriarch Robert Rayburn. You know, they seem like a normal big family, lots of drinking, some adults playing tug of war (laughs) and uh, petty arguments between siblings, what you would expect. But between what seems to be a bunch of little flashbacks and flash forwards, there's some dark, dark secrets. And that's Bloodline. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, sounds good. So I think one of the best places to dive into this episode is the very beginning with the opening theme, The Water Lets You In by Book of Fears. So what yeah. did you two think of that theme song? Well, I, I, I thought that it was really, really funny that the, the song is all about drowning or dying in the water. Right? It's essentially a letting go of your life in the water. Uh, so it's, it's kind of along the ominosity of the theme that they, they set out fairly well in that first episode. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a heavy-handed foreshadowing, but it seems as though this show is structured similarly to How to Get Away with Murder, where you know what the big thing is that happens in the arc of these characters. And now we're just trying to see what led up to that. Because I think eight minutes in or something, maybe 10 minutes in, I was trying to look through my text to BJ of like, is this happening? So (laughs) I think around eight to 10 minutes into the show when I was freaking out about it is when we find out, you know, something big happens to this family. And so the water is a big part of that. And it's funny that, yeah, so it's very similar to How to Get With Murder, where it's like, now we're just figuring out how to get there. So it's a very heavy-handed foreshadowing. I don't even know if you can call it foreshadowing. It's like, this is this is just what's going to happen. Yeah, some like, people are going to die, and water's going to be involved. Exactly. Yes, this is a very uh, water-loving family, being in the Florida Keys, and having their hotel, the Rayburn House, right on the water having a pier named after them, one of them owning a marina. So water is a very key part of their lives and deaths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh at that, but yikes. <laughs> it's true. So about the family, what did you guys think about their hierarchy, the bonds between them? Like you kind of have essentially cliques, the siblings versus the parents versus Danny. What stood out to you guys about those relationships? Uh, you, you know, what, I, what I'll say is it's clearly a matriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they are portraying it, uh, if it's, it's a patriarchy, 
the mom is the leader of that group, right? Everyone is sort of playing mom's game and mm -hmm. they're basically consumed by not keeping her happy, but sort of not messing with her. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point. Everyone at their kind of family cookout dinner, they were very much concerned about making the mother happy. You know, we have to have only family sit at the family table. Mm -hmm. We can't bring new people in because that would upset the mom. And, and they make it very clear that, like, please the parents because that's like a number one priority. Yeah, I would say that's a really good example is that at their family celebration, which is a big deal to have a harbor named or a pier named after you, mm -hmm. but it's not like the biggest deal. If I'm if I'm <laughs> misinterpreting what a big deal is, let me know. But they had a, a, a family dinner table, a central dinner table of the nuclear family. And Danny brought a girl to the party whom no one knew. She wasn't a spouse, unlike the other siblings that are engaged and married. Um and they were like, she can't sit here. And I just can't fathom that happening in my home. Maybe at a wedding or something where if you think they might break up, you don't want them in like every single picture. But I just can't fathom. Or there's a complex like, assigned seating chart or something yeah, like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. But that did not look like that. Yeah, that no. was like a backyard party for the naming of a peer. They were all really concerned and they were speaking mostly about their mom. So even though the father is the one that spoke at that event and he... I think is positioned publicly as a patriarch. I feel like everything centers around the mom. Sissy Spacek is so good in that role. Yeah, a lot is centered around the mom. And then even the siblings, I think, rank kind of higher than the dad because he gives them totally. the responsibility to like decide Danny's fate, which I thought was really odd. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting is that the character development they do you pretty much are spoon-fed who everybody is, right? There's the messed yes. up brother. There's the sort of conflicted straight arrow guy who's Kyle Chandler. Uh, there's the fun brother who's also a bit of a hothead. There's the sister who's a peacemaker kind of cheating on the on the fiancé. <laughs> uh, yeah. The mom, you know, they, they show you sort of like that strength she has. Uh, but the dad is a bit of a mystery, right? Like you can tell that there's a lot of the, the secrets that, you know are mm -hmm. there are centering quite a bit around him mm -hmm. they leave him as a mystery to you i mean at least the first episode i finished it without really knowing who that guy is yeah that's that i didn't think about that that's really true i feel like you are hinted at the demons so basically danny is the oldest and wayward brother and his brother john at first advocates to let danny come back into the family business of running that hotel and some other things and he was like, you know, you don't know what Danny did for me as a young person. So I feel like that, to me, signified like, okay, so maybe Danny's helped John cover some things up. And I feel like Meg, we saw her very comfortably cheating on her fiance <laughs> with the, with a, a man we'll probably meet in later episodes. I don't know that you get much dirt out of Kevin, who's the other sibling, other than the fact that he clearly is a partier. Like, he clearly has a little bit of an issue drinking i would say right so you get a sense of everyone's demon a little bit except for the fathers i didn't even think about that's a really good point you know there's mm -hmm. something there to the father because they have that he and danny had that really pointed conversation about canoeing which felt like it was about so much more than canoeing because why would you i feel weird just saying canoeing as often as i just did right now <laughs> so I maybe something happened in a canoe who knows yeah so since we're going off the family and we kind of see everyone's different roles 
maybe not the father's complete role yet. Would you guys want to be a part of this family? Would you want to marry into it, date someone, join in, be a part of this seemingly influential family within this small town? Or I don't know the size of the town, but in this town in the Florida Keys. Well, you know, since since I'm straight, my only choices would be the mom and mm-hmm. and Meg, who's the sister cheating on on her boyfriend, <laughs> her fiance. All of that being said, yeah, it's an interesting family. You know, you like in the local sense, you can tell that there's power there, right? Like there's some sort of influence that these people have in the in the town that they live in and it's not like they're beloved right there's a couple of other people you're introduced to that the way they speak of them is sort of like we tolerate them and and there's nothing we can do about all the power they wield yes but but there's something about that that is you know it's appealing so maybe maybe (laughs) me too i absolutely would there is no (laughs) question because my dream, my dream for a long time was to become the mayor of a small town because I just feel like you can run the town. You'll probably be unopposed as long as there's no term limits. You can do it forever. You have good benefits, good pay, and you just make like decent decisions for the town and you'll be fine. I also, they reminded me, which I don't know if this is dumb, but they really made me think of Chip and Joanna Gaines because Chip and Joanna Gaines are like all of Waco, Texas's industry right now. So I would love to marry into this family and just have like my own Magnolia Bakery. I just wouldn't marry. I feel like Meg is not in on the industry enough, so I wouldn't marry her. And I wouldn't marry the older brother because he like bores me. John is kind of boring. He's a sheriff. In my heart of hearts, I'd like to think I could marry Sissy Spacek's character, but like the matriarch of the family, but I think it would be too much pressure And I can't handle that kind of pressure, so I would have to marry Kevin. (laughs) And what's good about marrying Kevin, though, is he's such a party boy and such a drinker that I feel like even if I didn't like him, I would just kind of be free to do my own thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would be able to, like, do my little bakery, like, run all my projects and do all the fun stuff I want to do in that town, whether people want it or not, because they're stuck with us. I just feel like Kevin would let me do whatever he wants as long as I never forget to buy his beer at the grocery store. That sounds like enabling. I mean, if you forget... (laughs) We kind of know what might happen to you, especially since you're not blood. Yeah, I'm not blood. There definitely is a pressure in that family, I bet, that the in-laws or the people that are married in feel a lot. Well, I think you were talking about the potential being murdered. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying no to marrying into this family. (laughs) (laughs) You you two are willing to take a risk. Self-preservation. Exactly. Like (laughs) one, my options are Sally or Meg. Not really interested in either one. And two, like Me Too was saying before, we're seeing kind of flash forwards to the end of this story. And that could be me if I make the wrong mistake. Even if you're related by blood, they can turn on you. So I'm going to take care of myself and stay out (laughs) of the Rayburn family. And say no to the Rayburns. In this hypothetical scenario, my answer changes if I'm a woman of color, too. Because if I'm still (laughs) the black woman I am today, then... 
actually no because maybe for my safety I would marry that family because that did not look like a place that was safe for people of color that may be the the wise move then yeah right? for us people of color right it may be let's yeah. just get some protection around us that's true in the Florida Keys also they called Tallahassee Yankee Town they said Meg got her law degree as a Yankee in Tallahassee and when Tallahassee is a like Yankee to you I probably shouldn't be there and Orlando is cold. That's yeah. Cold. Yeah, that was <laughs> what too is cold. This? No. So, yeah, I guess maybe I would marry into that family out of safety. That's a good point because it's unfortunate that Florida Keys, such a beautiful area, could have such a dark side to it. Like, you yeah. only think about the vacation aspect to the Florida Keys, but then you're like, maybe the people who live here aren't that great. Yeah, the yeah. swampy people. It looks like Florabama Shore, but in the Florida Keys. No comment on Florabama Shore. It's such a good um, So let's dive into more kind of the behind the scenes aspect of Bloodline. Were either of you familiar with some of these actors' previous work? I tend to, after I watch episodes, BJ can attest to this. I don't know if it's my attention span. I'm not good at following shows sometimes. So I have to, and there's a ton of characters. So I read a recap. And um, the reviewer was really surprised that Kyle Chandler, who I guess was the football coach on Friday Night Lights, is such a dark character on this show. He's John. Like, they were shocked to hear him curse. And so they have him from Friday Night Lights. They have Meg was on Freaks and Geeks and looks exactly like when she was on Freaks and Geeks. Danny, I can't remember the actor's name. but Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. But he's, who's like so famous. Yikes. And he was in, like, Star Wars. He's going to be in Captain Marvel next year. Right. Yeah, it's, like, a really star-studded cast. And then, apparently, they later introduce Chloe Sevigny and John Leguizamo. So, it's, like, it's a star-studded cast. Yeah, there's a lot of really good people in it. And, I mean, yeah, we kind of touched on Sissy Spacek being so incredible in the show. Uh, mm -hmm. So subtle, right? What yes. I love about her character is that if you probably, if you flip to that script... She probably has like three lines on it. And, and they're like, come on, everybody, let's have dinner. And yet she conveys all that power we were just talking about as a matriarch, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's acting. She's just so, so nuanced and good at it. So I, yes, lo I love that. 100%. I, I like the, the recycle of Kyle Chandler. I always like that whenever they take somebody who's beloved for being nice and straight arrow and they make him conflicted because that's kind of what is the case for him in this one right he's just conflicted because he's supposed to be a lawman mm -hmm. but there's obviously stuff behind that uh, so I, I i like that kind of that kind of recycling of of characters or character perceptions that's always it, it tells you somebody thought about it yeah it was also interesting for me to see ben mendelson in the role of danny so I didn't actually realize it was him until after I saw it. And I was like, I'm very used to seeing you as this like very aristocratic villain mm -hmm. in uh, Star Wars and then seeing him as this like businessman villain in Ready Player One. And now he's this like down and out drug user, black sheep of the family. And it's like, I'm impressed. He has a lot more range than I probably gave him credit for, which is a little sh bit of a shame because he is very busy actor so he's clearly has skill <laughs> <laughs> yeah he clearly is like taken he's like the terry cruz of big movies because what i love about terry cruz is i don't think that man has said no to a role 
I feel like he, <laughs> he does works a everything. lot. That man works. That's how you stay in Hollywood. Take all the jobs you can. Well, yeah. Sometimes it ba- backfires, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the the only thing, uh, the other thing about the cast, uh, I, I always look at the directors, and that's sort of like a geeky thing I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at who directed something, and in my mind, I'm able to build up a little bit of a database of directing styles and whatnot. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, directing is project management. It's glorified project management, right? It's telling a story with certain amount of resources in a particular way. And if you were to just look at the episode by itself, the directing is not great. It's it's mm. a relatively easy thing to deliver, right? It's just a buildup mm. of a party, character development and whatnot. But the transitions are a little jerky and there's some stuff that mm. drags on, right? Mm. I, I think that there's some, some stuff that we could have done without six minutes of tug of war, right? And, yes, and that's the thing. <laughs> So I went and looked, and the director is not somebody I'm super familiar with. His name is Johan Rank. You know, under his belt, he has a couple of Breaking Bad episodes in a documentary about Bowie. I mean, that's sort of the the extent of his. So it's interesting, right, that you grab a star-studded uh, group of people and then hand that valuable group of resources to a guy who directed a couple of Breaking Bad episodes. Hmm. It's, it, it seems yeah. like a risk, right? It seems like like a gamble. And sometimes, I guess, you know, in the in the in the new world of entertainment investment, sometimes that's how you that's how you keep your cost at bay. You know, you don't get Michael Bay to do all of your directing. <laughs> you get some guy who had a couple of good attempts, right? And 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 then you shore him up with good good resources. So do you think they thought that bloodline would be like okay? And so they thought, let's just cut this corner. Cause I, I, I'm sure they pulled out all the stops for something like House of Cards. So maybe they thought Bloodline would just be fine. Is that is that your theory? Yeah, you, you know what's interesting is that in the era of Netflix the way shows get funded and bought is a little different than it used to be. Mm. Mm. A big part of the Netflix strategy is they want people who have uh, skin in the game. So if you're pitching a show, right, let's just say that your production for Pilot Plus 10, which is normally what you need to uh, allot for, is you know, $22 million, they expect mm-hmm. you to put 11 in, right? They expect you to come with half of the investment that this is going to take and they sort of match it so oh. that's the new way right it's different than the old way where you shot a pilot and were out of pocket for the entire amount on the pilot but then you took that pilot and showed it to all the networks right expecting mm-hmm. for yeah. them to get it and they buy a, a season right and, and and they would carry the production cost of the season so it's similar. Right? The, the amount amounts of money being transferred are similar, but the way that money is allocated is very different, right? So it seems like Netflix is willing to take a risk and shows that they know they're very niched, but they expect you to come in to them with, hey, I, if this doesn't work, I'm really screwed, right? You're risking too. Yeah. Interesting. That's a cool model for getting in some of these um, underrepresented directors to give them a chance if they can bring in the funding. And the benefit of Netflix is they don't show their 
viewership numbers so yeah. even if you only get one season you can like brush it off and be like that's all i needed for the story i wanted to tell you don't know that it didn't get picked up again that's very interesting point uh bj because there it, it's also changing the way people are writing shows mm. right so everybody's now writing shows that are complete circles on season one Mm. right they're like mm. they're sort of standalone season ones yeah uh, and, and if you look the there's shows that are beginning to surface that are uh, every season is the same characters but every season is sort of like a different thematic element right mm. like mm. Uh, american horror story all of those right it's the same people sometimes the same director and producers interesting yeah yeah and, and that's uh, that's a way of s sort of securing that approach of we don't know if we're going to be around for season two three or four i feel yeah. like pose did that too the pose the show about trans and queer ballroom culture in the 80s mm -hmm. their season finale really felt like a series finale and i think it was partially and it's also from ryan murphy who's behind all the american horror story yep. shows and it's, it was a wonderful show but i didn't know if america was going to give a show about like <laughs> a largely black and latinx cast of trans folks uh, another season which they did get one thankfully but just great I'm curious about how they take it into season two because season one really felt so final and i think that benefits the viewers like us because it sucks when you have that cliffhanger finale and then True. you find out the show's canceled and you just will never know what was going to happen to these characters yeah talk about sensate i'm still I'm still hurting from that <laughs> oh no <laughs> okay guys are you ready to go into our final ratings yeah let's yeah. do it okay so martin you're our guest so how about you start <laughs> us off <laughs> well i will probably put this at just below binging the show right i, I would not mm -hmm. that's not what i would use this show yeah. for this is the mm. type of show that I would sort of keep on my queue when if I come around and I'm having a lazy Saturday afternoon and I'm like, yeah, I want to watch something. I would just pick up another episode in another episode. So maybe like a mm -hmm. two at a time type of thing. I would watch nice. it. I would complete it. But uh, it's not something I will rush to binge tonight. Okay. Right. Yeah, I would probably put it towards the casually way more than the seriously for sure. Got mm -hmm. it. BJ, where are you on there? I would be would watch again casually but maybe slightly higher as well i want to mm. finish season one uh, i'm really kind of invested in this thriller drama i like the concept of knowing how it's going to end and just kind of seeing how we get there so i'm really all in to see what this family's going to do to each other <laughs> yeah totally agree this is messy and i love mess so I, I am also around where you both are. We came up with this kind of like an extra rating of, I think I would download a bunch of episodes for a long flight or something where you're a little bit of a captive audience. And then I would definitely do like two or three in a row because I'm, yeah, I'm curious about where this mess goes. It makes total sense. Sure. I, I would totally do that too. I would do the, the plane thing, the plane watching. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a good that, plane show. That makes sense. I, 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 would, I would use it as a, as a plane bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, load up a few episodes before your next trip. You're good to go. Let's wrap things up. Martin, do you want to tell the listeners about your consulting company? See, let them know where they can find out more information. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, what kind of makes sense is that um, what I do is I uh, consult for people who are pitching their, their startups, right? So if somebody is building up an idea, they're getting to the place where they're either right just in the mark of pre-revenue 
or even hitting revenue, their full proof of concept, what they're going to be needing is a strategy to pitch, right? And that's what I help them do. I help them build a good strategy to pitch. Uh, Fun fact is that I knew all that Netflix stuff because I helped a couple of people pitch entertainment shows. And it it came with the knowledge of, oh, crap, we got to figure out how to pitch to Netflix because it's entirely different. Are you telling me if BJ and I find eleven million dollars, we could pitch Netflix with you? Eleven million? How about eleven thousand? <laughs> if we can find eleven dollars between us, you can pitch an eleven. You can pitch a twenty-two dollar show to Netflix. But you know, I I had a, a guy pitch a you know hundred and fifty thousand dollar show to Netflix, and they're seriously oh, considering bad. it. Yeah, no, it's not bad. You, you you can have a couple of rich uncles that you can hit for 75k a piece you know yeah yeah we'll start saving <laughs> i just need to marry into that family the Rayburns? that's what i would do i'd marry kevin and then get a show on netflix and the website for your consulting company the website is uh sharkbait.me sharkbait.me yeah so essentially Great. turn me into a shark bait <laughs> nice <laughs> i like the name <laughs> yeah people get a kick out of it but it's uh it, it's an easy way to connect uh, tell me a little bit about the business they're working on and what I do is usually a viability analysis, right? So I essentially have a very, very honest conversation as does this have legs? And if it doesn't, what is it missing, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of people have value from that alone. And if anybody's thinking of doing that, that, that alone could be uh, the make or break. Cool. So for our listeners, while you guys are working on your next pitch for Martin, <laughs> you should listen to some more episodes of The Pilot Podcast. You can find those at thepilotpodcast.com. And you can always listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, anywhere and everywhere, and leave us that five-star review. Specifically five stars. And you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can like us on Facebook at The Pilot Podcast. And you can send any suggestions for shows you'd like us to review or your Netflix ideas that we can steal to make $22 shows to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Thanks for Another listening. Another special oh, thanks no. to our guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like out of here. Yeah. Thank you, Martin, for putting up with us. <laughs> no problem, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love this. Awesome. Now, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.